Counter. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and strengthens you during this season. If you're watching via Facebook, can I encourage you to tag a friend who would enjoy this service and to connect with us and each other in the comments section. We hope that you enjoy today's service and we look forward to seeing you in the comments section. We're going into a time of worship. This song is called Nothing Else. I'd just like to encourage you to sing along with us and enjoy this time of worship together. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. Caught up in this holy moment, I'm never lonely. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that. I just want you and I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions I'm sorry when I just sang another song take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you according caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet Caught up in this holy moment I'm never want to leave Oh, I'm not here for blessings Cause Jesus, you don't owe than anything that you can do I just want you Oh, I just want you Nothing else Nothing else Nothing else will do I just want you Nothing else Nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. 
Good morning, church. How good was that? Awesome. So I'm Emily, and I have the privilege this morning of sharing around communion, and I've titled my short message, Forgiven. And I want to start by um, sharing a little bit about something that happened in Fiji last year. So last year, I was studying with Planet Shakers College, and we had the opportunity a few times to go to Fiji, and I obviously took it up because I had really enjoyed it the year before. And so when I arrived, um, we were all in teams, and my team started like they were seeing miracles straight away and they had some amazing encounters with God, but I felt nothing. And then my team was sharing so many testimonies, but I had nothing. And I was just like, I was just so frustrated and I was just so disappointed. I'm like, this is not the way I wanted to spend Fiji. Like I was so excited to see God um, do something through my life into other people's lives. So I was frustrated and I decided to talk to one of my leaders and I said to her, I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like all of you, like you're all encountering God, like you're crying, like you're all, you know, you can pray and you're, you know, you can do all these things, but I'm just struggling. Like I can't do this. And so she started to pray for me and she felt like, she asked me, she was like, is there something that is holding you back from encountering God? And I was like, mm, nah, I don't think so. Like I can't think of anything. So she prayed for me. Um, she prayed that God would reveal what it was to me. And I knew what it was, but I didn't want to tell her because I was so ashamed of what it was. And so I continued denying, but it got to the point where I actually felt bad because she kept praying for me. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll tell you what it is, but I'm so embarrassed. And so I started crying. I was just like, oh, it's this and this and this. And what it was, was that I actually, I had unforgiveness towards myself. I had done something to someone in the past that I was so ashamed of. And they said they forgave me, but it was so hesitant. It was more like, yeah, I forgive you, but, but I'm still hurt but I'm still mad, but, and I was like, I never felt truly forgiven for what I'd done. And therefore I could never forgive myself. And it really got me down. I thought about it a lot and it just made me feel so sad. It made me feel so ashamed of myself. And so I told my leader this and she was like, you know what? Like you've said, sorry, you've done all that you can to make it right. And whether they're forgiving you or not, it's actually like, that's their issue. And the, what matters is that God has forgiven you and that he loves you no matter what you've done. And it was that moment that she began to pray for me. And I just, it was just like, I had encountered him like on a much deeper level that I had in a long time. And it was just like a massive burden had lifted off my shoulders and I was crying and she was crying. I was just encountering the Holy Spirit again. 
and I realized, you see, like, God didn't send his son on the cross for us just to keep living ashamed of what we've done wrong or son to die for the forgiveness of our sins. In Matthew 26, 26 to 28, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 8, 12, for I will forgive their wickedness and I remember their sins no more. Last term at youth, we were talking, um, our theme was identity and it was our theme at church for a while as well. And I was sharing with our youth that the mistakes that we made in the past, what we did in the past, that doesn't define us. God defines us and he said, we're loved, we're worthy, we're made in his image and we are forgiven. So perhaps like me, maybe you're holding on to something, whether it's unforgiveness or something else. Maybe you're holding on to something that's stopping you from, from encountering God. I want to encourage you that God is more than willing to, to forgive you. He's there for you. And if you, if you just ask him for forgiveness, he will forgive you. And 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So as we take the juice today that represents Jesus' blood and as we take the bread that represents his body, we can be reminded that he didn't send his son for us to live ashamed or live not being able to forgive ourselves. He sent his son to forgive us of our sins. So if you have the elements with you, please feel free to take them when you can. I'm just going to pray. God, we just thank you so much that you have forgiven us. We just thank you that we don't have to live ashamed of what we've done. It doesn't matter what we did in the past, God. It doesn't matter the sins that we've committed, God, but you just love us and you forgive us and you don't remember our sins no more, God. And I just pray that you just break people free from um, shame and from guilt. And I just thank you so much for the love that you have for us. Amen. Amen. So now we're going to go into a promotion video for one of our upcoming series. On November 1st, we'll be starting a new series called Generations. I believe that God is a multi-generational God. His plans and purposes are bigger than just one generation at a time. He works his plans out over multiple generations. We see this in the Bible on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the disciples. Acts 2 verse 16 to 17 says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In this scripture, the Apostle Peter is addressing the crowd who had come to see what was going on amongst the disciples. And he quotes the prophet Joel who had prophesied around 600 years earlier that this moment would happen. We can see that this was one of God's multi-generational plans. All throughout scripture, we see God's plans and purposes being worked out over multiple generations and it's still the same today. God has plans for our generation and future generations. As Christians, we have a responsibility to know what God's plans are now 
and to partner with him in our generation and the generations to come. So in this series called Generations, we're going to look at what it means for our generation to live according to God's plans and purposes now and into the future. Welcome to Encounter Church Online, wherever you are watching from today, I want to warmly welcome you. If you don't already know me, my name is Aston. I'm one of the pastors here at Encounter Christian Church, and I'll be bringing a message this morning from the Word of God. It's about prayer today, but before I get into my message, I do want to let you know of some of the things that are happening in the life of our church, because how many of you know that church is not just about Sunday services? It's so much more, and actually, even right now with restrictions... <clears throat> in place in various stages across Victoria. We still have connect groups meeting all across the Goulburn Valley and beyond every single week, fully compliant with all of the relevant restrictions. We have online Bible studies, um, online games groups meeting together over Zoom. We have our Zoom prayer meeting. There are a number of walking groups happening around the city of Shepparton. Every single week, there's a group that go bike riding together. Again, I want to stress this is all in uh, compliance with the relevant restrictions, which are, we update the way we're doing this all the time. There's also a group that's taking advantage of the fact that we are allowed to gather in greater numbers at restaurants and cafes right now than we are here in church. And they're meeting every Thursday for lunch in one of our local pubs. So uh, if you are interested in getting connected with any one of these groups, then please do let us know. Cess Popel, our connect group coordinator, would absolutely love to be able to put you in contact with one of these group leaders and get you plugged in. It's not too late. Uh, the email address to get involved with one of those groups is connect at encountercc.org.au. So you can fire off an email there or just let us know on Facebook if that's where you're watching today. Send us a message there and we'd love to help you out. Now, speaking of Facebook, I want to talk about all of our online content. Today is day 14 of a period of 14 days of prayer and fasting that we have set aside as a church. And every day for the last 14 days, we've been meeting online at 7 a.m. for live prayer on our Facebook page. And people have been loving that so much. And then every night at 7 p.m., we've been sharing a chat with one of our church family members about fasting, their experience of fasting, their perspective on prayer and fasting. And that has been so <clears throat> excuse me, inspiring. So we're wrapping that up tonight live at 7 p.m. Glenn and I will be coming um, to you on Facebook Live. We'll also broadcast that on YouTube for those of you who like to watch things there. I know not everybody is on Facebook. So we do share almost all of these things on YouTube as well. You can find us there. We'll be there at 7 p.m. tonight wrapping things up, but that is not the end of our midweek or daily online content. <clears throat> for the rest of 2020, we are committed to adding three online content points or connection points every single week in addition to what we do on Sundays gathering as a church online. So every Wednesday you will um, see a midweek devotion come from somebody in our church family. Every Thursday you have the opportunity to join in our Zoom prayer connect group which the whole church and beyond is welcome to come and attend and that's actually a great format for a, a higher level of interaction and engagement. So if you want to pray and lead part of that prayer meeting then log on to that Zoom meeting that's always advertised on all our social media pages. The link is on our website. You are now invited to join. 
And then on the weekend, there is a bonus content. So far, that's included interviews with people from our community, leaders in our community, leaders from other churches elsewhere and around the nation even. And of course, our very popular Friday night trivia. So look out for more of that three times a week, plus everything that's always happening on a Sunday, like the service you are watching right now. So I wanted to share a little bit about that online content because Glenn and I and some of the other staff here have the privilege of reading all of the feedback that we get on our, our, our Facebook and our YouTube pages. We're getting private messages. We're getting emails and text messages and comments letting us know how much people are enjoying these services and the things that we're doing online midweek. And I want to encourage you that you are a part of touching so many more people than you can see. You know, the restrictions are so, um, are, are so that we can only have five people here on a Sunday morning or at any time to prepare our online services. So what you see here on a Sunday is a very small group of people. And so it would be so easy for you just not to be aware that actually God is still building his church in this season. By the grace of God, our church is growing. And you may not be able to see that. So I want to let you know, we are getting messages from people all over the place. Just this week, I met with somebody who has been working in Shepparton for all of this year. They live elsewhere, but are traveling to Shepparton for work. This is one of our hospital workers. As you know, this has been a very demanding season for all of our medicos. And so this person has been so blessed by the ability to come on alongside our church community online. And in his own words, he is too busy right now to fast and pray. But every morning for the last two weeks, he's been getting in the shower with waterproof headphones on and listening to us pray and praying along with our church before he gets into his busy day of work at the hospital. Just last night, I had a message from a friend in Geelong. We were commiserating with each other about the cat's loss, but the less said about that, the better. And she let me know that her family, her and her family from Geelong have been tuning in to encounter stuff all throughout the week and online on Sundays, and that they've been really blessed by it. She wanted to encourage me by letting me know that. We've talked about this before, but there's been a couple from New South Wales who can't even access this church if they wanted to because of the border restrictions, who actually feel so connected to the church here now. They call this their church home. They've been tithing to encounter Christian church over this lockdown period because they believe so fully in what we are doing. And they're so blessed that they're generously supporting with their finances what we are doing and extending God's kingdom online. Isn't that amazing? And so some of the things I can see um, because I administer our Facebook page. I want to encourage you with this. In the last 28 days, as the last four weeks alone, our content has been accessed from countries all over the world, including the United States, South Africa, the Philippines, India, New Zealand, Vanuatu, Russia, and Taiwan. Cities in Australia include Wodonga, Adelaide, Sydney, Bendigo, I mentioned Geelong, Melbourne, the Gold Coast, Brisbane. In just these four weeks, there have been over two and a half thousand people reached on Facebook with Encounter Christian Church online content and 4,659 engagements. That's likes, shares, comments and messages that people are sending around the content that we are producing every week. 765 unique visitors 
Friends, I've never seen 765 people in the building I'm standing in right now. How good is it that while the church is locked down, there are 765 people who now call Encounter Church home. In the last four weeks, we've had 21 new followers. Now, compared to some of the other numbers I've mentioned, that may seem small, but come on, somebody, how would we be celebrating today if there were 21 new people walking through these doors and wanting to stay in touch with what God is doing through our church? This is a cause for celebration, so I did want to share that with you today. And if you are watching for the first time today, a very, very warm welcome to you. We hope that you find a place to belong here. And we're so glad that all of these people are choosing to connect with what Encounter is doing. And so I'm aware, perhaps more than most, that our, the shape of our congregation is actually changing. Though we cannot see it when we tune in online, the number and the type of people that are engaging with our content is so different than it was six months ago. And from talking with some of these newer folks to our community, I'm aware that there are many who don't feel confident in the area of prayer. And so at the close of our 14-day period of prayer and fasting, I wanted to take just a morning to talk about this very, very important central practice in our Christian faith. You know, many people think about prayer like they think about the gym. And I mean this, to go to the gym, you've got to get fit first, right, before you belong there. Some people think that to start praying, they've got to get holy first, or that you need to be a Christian before you can pray. But that's actually not the case. In fact, anyone who calls themselves a Christian actually became a Christian by praying a prayer that we call the sinner's prayer. And we call it the sinner's prayer, not because we want to condemn people who haven't prayed that yet, but because we all once were sinners until we prayed this prayer. So every single one of us who calls ourselves a Christian at some point had to go from a place of unbelief and saying a prayer to cross into this relationship with God. In the book of Romans chapter 8, the Bible tells us that if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we will be saved. This is the model for prayer that you know, we might call the salvation prayer, but it starts with the prayer of an unbeliever. So this morning, it's my hope that I can open the doors wide to this important practice of prayer to anybody, to the uninitiated. So let's get into it. I want to acknowledge straight away that prayer can raise some very big questions, but questions are good. I don't have answers to them all, but I just want you to know that if the subject of prayer does raise questions for you, then you're in good company. And we hopefully will discover today that God isn't really afraid of our questions. And so you don't need to be either. I mean, questions like, well, what's the point of prayer? Does it really make a difference. And if God can intervene in the lives of humans to put an end to suffering, why on earth would he, would he wait for us to ask him before he does it? You know, prayer is actually one of the big mysteries of our faith. And it's been the subject of some very large scientific studies, some long-range studies. In fact, there's one that cost $2.3 million, was concluded in 2006, had very mixed results, no clear answers. And one of the scientists involved in putting that study together actually said about the results, you know, trying to pin down using science, the metaphysical 
uh, subject of prayer just makes for bad science and bad religion. So we don't have clear answers from a scientific viewpoint about whether or not prayer can make a difference to medical outcomes. This is what scientists would say. But if you talk to praying people, find any praying person, and scientists will concede this, the reported benefits of prayer for the prayer are significant. Ask any one of our regular prayers here at Encounter, and they'll be only too happy to let you know the positive impact that prayer has had on their lives. And actually in the area of psychology, it has become quite clear um, in evidence-based research that prayer is very beneficial in reducing stress, depression, anxiety, and feelings of isolation. And we can compare the benefits of prayer with those of meditation and mindfulness. Now, this is something we've talked a little bit about in our mental health component of our 40 days connection of connection, which we released during the second stage of lockdown here in Victoria. Um, but prayer is actually mentioned um, or recognized by these scientists who study these things as different in a very fundamental way than meditation and mindfulness. And actually, because of this difference, it's even more effective at managing stress and anxiety. You see, prayer, instead of clearing the mind, as meditation is designed to do, or distracting the mind from anxious thoughts, as mindfulness is designed to do, prayer actually is a, a process that helps you process your thoughts and deal with your emotions and in that sense is more effective than either mindfulness or meditation. And I have all of this research um, like in the back of my notes here. If anybody would like to see more about these studies, I'd be so happy to hear from you and to share them with you. So in saying all of that, yes, we can see there are benefits to prayer, but there are still many mysteries surrounding it to me. But as someone who is dedicated to following the life and the model of Jesus, it can be as simple as this. There is no denying that Jesus himself believed in prayer. And actually, he frequently withdrew to pray, most famously in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was arrested. But Jesus also prayed for a whole night before appointing his 12 apostles. And many other times in the gospel, he's recorded as praying. He prayed early in the morning. He prayed through the night. He prayed before and after the significant events in his life, like his baptism and the transfiguration. In Luke 22, he tells Peter that he prayed for Peter's faith. In Matthew 6, prayer is one of the three whens that Jesus instructs his disciples about. He says, when you give don't be like the hypocrites, do it this way. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, do it this way. And when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites, do it this way. These three whens form the three-stranded cord that Jensen Franklin says brings strength to the life of a believer. The implication here is that you will be praying. It's not if, it's when. So what is prayer? Well, my first point this morning is that anyone can do it, and it's easier than you think. The dictionary describes prayer or defines prayer as a solemn request for help or an expression of thanks to God or another deity. But prayer is actually so much more than that. And it's easier than that. You don't have to be solemn or grateful to pray. In fact, prayer can be as simple as breathing. Uh, the Franciscan 
priest Richard Raw has a wonderful teaching on the name of God, the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh, where he shares his discussion with a, a Hebrew scholar who explained to him that what we call Yahweh, the Hebrews recorded uh, when they wrote it down without the vowels, which was quite normal Hebrew practice. They would um, save space in their writing by only recording the consonants of things. But it was also here a mark of respect for the name of God that was revered so highly that they wouldn't uh, defile it by marking it out in some kind of human representation. So the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, was represented with the four consonants Y-H-W-H. Many of you will know this. And he talks about the third commandment, which is to not take the Lord's name in vain. These commandments that were given to Moses on the mountain after his period of prayer and fasting. To the Hebrews at the time, this didn't mean what we think about taking the Lord's name in vain, like not saying gosh darn you to somebody, but it actually meant don't even say the name because the word that they used for vain meant in emptiness. Don't even utter the name because there's no way that a human could possibly encapsulate all of the meaning and the reverence that is due to the name of God, so don't even say it. And actually, these four letters, Y-H-W-H, the, these consonants in the Hebrew alphabet are the only consonants that do not require you to use your tongue or close your lips. And the Hebrews actually understood this to be an imitation, like a linguistic uh, mimicking of breathing, of inhalation and exhalation. So they would breathe in, ya, and breathe out, way without even having to put sound to that word. You know, there's no denominational way of breathing. There's no Christian special way of breathing. This is a unity of prayer. If you can breathe, you can pray the name of God. It can be as simple as breathing. You know, prayer can be spontaneous. And in fact, in the Bible, it usually is uh, right from the name of Yahweh being breathing in the very early Old Testament, we see um, standardized prayer become more evident as the chronology of the Bible progresses. But still, in most cases, the vast majority of instances of prayer that are recorded in the Bible, they're spontaneous. Like in the book of Nehemiah in chapter two, he's talking to the king and he's asking for the um, exiled Jews to be allowed to return to Jerusalem. And he's in conversation with the king. You know, he's negotiating with this king at the time. And the king asks him a question. And the Bible says just quite a quick statement. So he prayed to God and then he answered. So it wasn't a planned prayer. It wasn't a prescribed prayer. It was just, God, what should I say right now? How do I answer this person? What's your wisdom for the words that I need to say right now to fulfill your will here? 1 Thessalonians says that we should pray continually. Now, we know that we have to do other things, right? So we can't always just be praying, which must mean that if we are to pray continually, we can pray simultaneously while carrying out other duties. Prayer can be as simple as a breath. It doesn't have to be prescribed or any special words. It doesn't have to be at a set time. It can be spontaneous in your moment of need. And it can be continuous throughout your day. My second point this morning is that prayer is for all of you. Now, I do mean for everybody who is watching. 
But I, I also mean for every part of every person who is watching. You know, one of our high uh, moral codes in uh, this society, but especially amongst Christians, is the value of integrity. Now, I did some research on this word a little while ago, and I found out that integrity comes from the root word integer. Now, if you know your maths, or if you can remember that far back, you will know that an integer is simply a whole number. It's not a fraction, it can't be divided. So one is an integer, but one and a half is not, or three quarters is not. And we actually talk quite often about having integrity in walking with God. And so I actually take that to mean bringing your whole self to God. You know, of all the relationships that you can cultivate in this life, your relationship with God is the only one where you can never pretend successfully. You know, you can hold parts of your life back from God, hide parts of your emotions that you're not pleased with from God. Like Emily talked about earlier, it's not very effective because God of everyone who knows you knows all of you. He knows when you're pretending. And do you think if he's inviting you in to this relationship with him, which believe me, he is, that he doesn't know what he's inviting in? God wants all of you. I read a story um, in this book I've been reading recently called Prayer by Philip Yancey. And if you'll indulge me, I'd like to read it to you today. It's about bringing all of you, all of your emotions to God. The Hasidic Tales includes the story of Dovid Din of Jerusalem, who was approached by a man suffering a crisis of belief, doubt, in other words. Whatever reply Dovid attempted, the man dismissed. So he restrained himself and simply listened to the man's rants and raves. For hours he listened, and finally he said, Why are you so angry with God? This question stunned the man as he had said nothing at all about God. He grew very quiet and looked at Dovid Din and said, All my life I have been so afraid to express my anger to God that I have always directed my anger at people who are connected with God. But until this moment, I didn't understand this. Then David stood up and told the man to follow him. He led him to the Wailing Wall, away from the place where people pray, to the site of the ruins of the temple. And when they reached that place, David told him that it was time to express all the anger he had felt toward God. Then for more than an hour, the man struck the wall of the cattel with his hands and screamed his heart out. After that, he began to cry and could not stop crying. And little by little, his cries became sobs that turned into prayers. And that is how Dovid Din taught him to pray. You know, that story puts me in mind of Hannah in the temple. You know, Hannah was a good Jewish woman. She'd been married for many years and prayed for a child, but her and her husband had been unable to conceive. And every year, Hannah and her husband and their family would travel to the temple and they would perform this annual kind of ritual that they used to do as part of their religious service in those days. And then they would have a feast and then they would go home. And this particular year, in this instance, Hannah is so upset by the fact that year after year she's coming, she's doing the right thing, she's faithful in her service to God, but he has not rewarded her with a child. 
and she withdraws from the family feast and goes back into the temple. And she begins to pray. And she's described here in the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 1, verse 10, as being in bitterness of soul. And she was weeping and praying to the Lord. And actually, Hannah sounds really angry with God in this bitterness of soul that she is pouring out to God. She's saying things like, if you'll only look at my circumstances, if you would just look at me, your faithful servant, then surely you'd remember, oh yeah, I'm supposed to give my children children. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to reward my faithful people. She says, if only you'll look upon your servant's misery and remember me. Hannah wasn't afraid to take her bitterness of soul and lay it at God's feet. You know, the emotions that we have labeled as negative are not actually unwelcome to bring to God in prayer. Job also ranted at God. If you don't know the story of Job, that's an easy read. In an, well, it's not an easy read. It's quite a sad story, but it's a short read. You can do it in an afternoon. Job rants at God and he rails at his friends who come to tell him all of the platitudes of, you know, worship and keep your chin up. He'd lost everything, his family, his business, his health, and he was very angry with God. And he didn't understand. He's saying, God, why have you allowed this to come upon me? What have I ever done? He's asking the questions that we all, if we're honest, ask, but he asked them of God in prayer. And actually, when his friends came to tell him he should stop asking God in prayer, he said, go away. This is between me and God. God wants all of you. I also want to point out as a side note here, that in that story of Hannah in the temple, it shows us that prayer can be silent. Even passionate and fervent prayer can be silent because um, Hannah was actually observed in the temple by the priest Eli at the time. And the Bible says that she was praying in her heart but her, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli looked at her and thought she'd had too much to drink at the family feast and accused her of being drunk. So look, just as a funny aside, you don't have to be loud to be passionate or effective in your prayers. My third point this morning is that prayer is a two-way conversation. It's actually about hearing from God as well as him hearing from you. In John 10 verse 27, it says that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And the picture here is of, sh of sheep actually becoming acquainted with their shepherd's voice, not any shepherd's voice, but theirs, so that when... Um, sheep were sharing grazing fields with sheep from other flocks, a shepherd would only have to say the words that he'd trained them to listen to and the flocks would divide into their right sort of sections and follow their shepherd, not someone else's. You know, when we get used to the voice of God, it's so much easier to, to, to discern what he is saying over the other voices in our lives, voices like the opinions of others, the pressures and expectations that we sometimes put upon ourselves, the voice of your inner mean girl, or the voice of your own self-doubt or unbelief. These voices can all be very real and difficult at times to discern the difference between all of these voices and God's. But the more time you spend listening for the voice of God, the more you get to recognize his voice and the easier it is to be like a sheep who follows the voice of God 
its shepherd. So our prayer lives should leave room for God to speak to us as well as, as, well as us to speak to him. And there's so many examples in the Bible of this kind of two-way tussle, this give and take between God and his people. And again, it's not always like this calm, peaceful surrender to God that I think we have an image of, of people who are good prayers. Some might even describe this type of prayer that we see in the Bible as a wrestle, or at the very least, a bargaining that takes place between man and God. You know, Abraham and Moses are both really good examples of people who uh, had this wrestling style of prayer. I want to talk about Abraham a little bit because he's called the father of our faith. Now, Abraham heard from God in one-on-one encounters, encounters in, on several occasions. He even had a personal visit from God to his tent, his private place where he slept. Now, Abraham, of course, was a Hebrew man. He held God in the type of esteem that I talked about earlier of people who respected God so much they wouldn't even put voice to his name. This is the context that Abraham communicated with God in. And yet where God told Abraham in his old age that he would have a son, Abraham laughed in his face. This is how comfortable he was to respond to God with all of his emotions, which in this occasion were complete and utter disbelief to the point of amusement that God would bless him and his wife Sarah in their old age with a baby. Later on, we see Abraham bargain with God over the fate of a city. God had revealed to Abraham that he was going to destroy this city because it was so corrupt and they were carrying out some really awful things in this place. And so God said, I'm going to destroy this city because this can't go on. This type of evilness can't be allowed to continue. But Abraham knew his brother lived there. And so he starts this bargaining process with God, with his brother in mind. And he says, well, God, look, I know you're right. It's a terrible place. But what if we could find just 50 good people there? For the sake of 50 good people, would you spare the city? And God agrees. Says, okay, yeah, if you can find 50 people, I'll spare the city. And so Abraham, he's a good bargainer. And he goes, well, that might be a bit of a stretch, actually. What about 20? Would you spare them for 20 if I could find 20 people? And this goes on and on until it gets down to brass tacks. And he says what's really on his mind all along. If there was just one God, just one person, if it was just my brother, would you spare the city? You see, Abraham bargained with God. It was a conversation they were having. It wasn't just a blurting of all of his feelings and it wasn't just some heavenly spiritual download. It was a relationship that he was in with God. And this bargaining doubter who laughed in God's face is actually recorded in the book of Hebrews as the father of our faith. And his faith was credited to him as righteousness. This is the same person, full of righteous faith, but had this very real communicative relationship with God. You know, if you want to have any sort of successful relationship, key ingredient, communication. I um, recently started reading A Psalm A Day. Well, not that recently. Gosh, the days just blur into months in 2020, don't they? Um, I've 
just gotten to Psalm 127, and I'm about to talk about Psalm 4 and 5. I've been reading one a day, right? So that must be at least three months ago, probably more. I'm trying to get through one a day. And so right back in the beginning, I actually felt God revealed this, this new sort of model of prayer that was going to help me during this time in Psalms 4 and 5. And it gives us a really good kind of model to follow for this two-way interaction. If you're looking for a place to start, you don't know how to hear from God, here's some advice for you. Psalm 4 verse 4, it says, In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Now, firstly, I want to say, uh, I want to highlight, it doesn't say you're sinful if you're angry. It says in your anger, as in that's okay on its own, but while you're feeling like that, be careful not to sin. Okay, so the anger's not a sin, but whatever we do in that state can be problematic. So be careful. Use your emotions when you are on your beds, search your hearts, and be silent. Okay, this is the time to be silent. Now, David, who wrote this psalm, also wrote Psalm 51, which gives us a great example of how to invite God into this process of self-examination or looking at our heart's contents. Psalm 51, where it says... Um, Search me, O God, create a pure heart and, a and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So when I read in here, search your hearts and be silent, I see that as a way to actually look at what emotions I am feeling. If it is anger, if it's resentment, frustration, disappointment, anxiety, any of the things that we, I believe, mistakenly have labelled as negative emotions, actually, they're just emotions. It's neutral. What we do with them determines whether or not they have a positive or negative impact on our lives. And this is the key to how we manage these emotions well. When you are on your beds, to me, that means at night time, at the end of the day, search your hearts and be silent. This is the time to let God lead you through a process of self-reflection and examination. Let him speak to you about what your emotions are telling you. You know, Jeremiah chapter 17 says that the heart, above all other things, is deceitful. All of the things that a heart can be and help you do and work for your good, all of that, it's actually mostly just a big tricker if you don't pay careful attention to it. The book of Proverbs tells us to guard our heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. It's so important that we actually attend to our hearts. It says, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say, don't be angry. So this isn't about repressing our emotions, ignoring them, suppressing them. We know that leads to bad physical and mental health. This is about allowing God to use our emotions to teach us. David, the same person who wrote this, also said, even at night, my heart instructs me. I believe that's because he engaged in this practice of on his bed, searching his heart, being silent, letting God lead him to the point that he felt confident that his own heart had become aligned with God's, that he trusted what was once a deceitful heart to be in line with what was in God's heart so his own heart could instruct him faithfully. So that's part one. This is the time for us to listen. Part two, Psalm 5, verse 3, so the very next psalm says, Then in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you, and I wait in expectation. You see, there's a time for silence, and then there's a time to speak. 
I think this is such a pattern for a good, healthy relationship with your own heart and with God. And I think by letting God first examine your heart, you can pray and lay your request before him, actually in a, in a new way, because you've allowed God to work your heart. I think this is a real secret to some of the mysteries, the unanswered mysteries of prayer for us, is that many, many times I believe we pray things that actually are not in line with God's heart in the first place. And I, I believe if we do this work of allowing God to lead us through self-reflection and correcting and, and training and tweaking the direction and the alignments of our own hearts, then we begin to pray in the morning and our requests are more aligned with the things that were in God's heart. Prayers like the prayer that Jesus prayed um, in Matthew 6, your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So my three things this morning that I want you to know about prayer are that anyone can do it. It's easier than you think. You can bring all of you to God in prayer, and it's actually a two-way conversation. But I don't want to leave you today without giving you some, somewhere to start. If you actually have never prayed before, and I know from speaking with some of you that that is true, that there is someone watching today who has never prayed a prayer before. I want you to know that you don't have to know all of the scriptures. You don't have to have been a Christian for a long time. You don't have to have any special formula or even be able to come up with your own words to pray. Something that can be very useful is praying a prayer that's already been written by somebody else. Lots of churches do this. Our own church has a, a, a standardized prayer that we pray when we're gathered here together every Sunday. We pray a prayer from Romans 8, like I talked about earlier, where we invite people to pray for the first time, a prayer that invites Jesus into their hearts. And we're going to do that today. We'll take some time to do that in just a few moments. But I also want to direct you to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. You see, I mentioned that in the beginning, prayer was as simple as a breath, and then it was almost always spontaneous in the Bible. But we see by the time that Jesus was walking the earth and he's talking, uh, being compared with the religious leaders of the day that standardized forms of prayer had become the norm amongst religious leaders that they'd developed special ways special times special places to pray and the disciples who walked with Jesus compared the two this is not the way Jesus prays how should we be praying and so they asked Jesus would you teach us answer to that question you pray pray like this our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. And the people said, amen. You know, I pray this prayer many times. I still pray this prayer. I use it sometimes word for word, just as it's written in my Bible, but other times I will use it as a format for prayer to inspire my own thoughts, or I'll put it into my own words and pray it. These are all just practical things for you to get started. You know, it can be as simple as breathing. It can be as simple as laying on your bed at night and asking God to talk to you. It can be as simple as what are your requests and directing those to God in the morning. You can pray a prayer like this one in the Bible from Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. But if you have never prayed before, and you would like to start on this journey of being a relationship with God through Jesus, and continuing on in a relationship with him through the communication 
that he has made available to us through prayer. And I actually want to invite you to pray your very first prayer today. Just like every one of us has had to or has chosen to at some point pray our first prayer to enter into relationship with him. And we take this prayer from what it says in Romans 8, where it says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be saved. And so I'm going to make this really easy for you today. If you are watching this and I'm speaking to you right now and you have never prayed a prayer before, let me tell you that there is nothing more special required of you than exactly what you are doing right now where you are. Simply believing in your heart and speaking out in faith. And you can use your own words if you want to. But to make it as easy as possible for you today, I'm going to give you some words to say. So if that's you today, and I invite everybody who's watching right now to just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're just blocking out all of the other distractions so you can focus on what is happening in your heart right now. I invite you to just repeat these words after me. God, I thank you for loving me and wanting a relationship with all of me. I believe that Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross for my sin so that I could have relationship with you and that he was raised from the dead so that I can walk in victory. I invite you into my life and I want to start a journey with you from this day forward. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with me today. I'm so glad that you found us and that you're here with us. We'll be back online tonight, 7 p.m. to wrap up our 14 days of prayer and fasting. And you'll hear from somebody this Wednesday for a midweek devotion. I hope to see you there. Bye. Hey, what a great word. We hope you heard something this morning that has blessed you. If you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, please head to our website and click on the Next Steps tab and leave your details. One of our pastors will be more than happy to get in contact with you. As Christians, we believe in putting God first in every area of our life. And giving to church is one way in which we can put God first in our finances. There are different ways that you can give online to encounter by heading to our website or downloading the church app and following the instructions there. Encounter Church is more than just a Sunday service. We have lots of different things happening throughout the week. To stay in the loop, follow us on social media and download our church app. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next week at 9.30am for our pre-service Facebook Live, then 10am for our church online. We hope you have a great week.